Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 1 through 4, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 10 through 18, the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4, verse 12 through 23, and Psalm 27, verse 1, and 5 through 13. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our Redeemer. Amen. So just to give you some some background, a week ago Tuesday, I stepped out of rehearsal down at UC and discovered that I had missed a phone call from a certain Phil Duvall. Usually Phil and I chat through Microsoft Teams or Facebook Messenger, So to get an actual phone call from Phil was an unusual event and probably meant that he wanted to talk to me about something a little more significant than the usual day-to-day functioning of Redeemer. And I was right, because his question was, hey, do you want to preach on Sunday the 22nd? Uh, We had kind of joked about me preaching sometime because I do have some background and experience in this. Uh, but I didn't expect that this would actually happen. (laughs) And it is rather intimidating to be uh, called up to the big leagues, as my wife Krista phrased it after the phone call. Um, Given the excellence of the preaching that happens in this place every Sunday. But I know my appearance up here is probably a one-off, especially after Phil has to listen to this sermon four times today. but it is a pleasure to be able to minister you to you in this way this morning. So I am up here because of a call, which is wonderful synergy to the gospel reading for today, where Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And my sermon today is going to focus on being called and what that might mean for us as followers of Jesus Christ. At downtown Bible study on Wednesday, Tom Kirkwood was agitating that I should preach on the repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near line. Uh, And that would be in line with my evangelical background. But don't worry, I am not going there. There will not be an altar call at the end of this sermon. But do pay attention because I am a teacher after all, so there might be a quiz later. All right, here we go. In the spring of 1992, I was headed into music ministry full time. I was in the final semester of my four-year Bachelor of Sacred Music degree at Canadian Bible College in Saskatchewan. I had taken my worship classes, theology classes, a homily class, and of course, all of my music classes. I had participated in student ministry, including two years of hospital chaplaincy I had taken all of my exams and had just come through the final part of the process that would set me on the path to be ordained as a minister of music in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, firmly in the evangelical tradition of Christianity. This final step was an interview with several leaders of the denomination, and it had been a tough interview with probing questions about theology, ministry, worship, and, of course, evangelization. But I was still feeling confident that I would be certified to be a minister after I graduated. 
So imagine my shock when the committee determined that I, in fact, did not have a calling to the ministry. I wasn't the only one in my circle who was shocked by this decision. It actually caused a bit of a scandal at the Bible College that year. Um, but there was no recourse, no appeal. I would have to wait a year and perhaps choose to go through the whole process again. So I didn't enter the music ministry full time in the fall of 1992. I ended up working for a year as the manager of a sheet music store, and that's the story for another time. <laughs> and then started in the fall of 1993, my master of music in choral conducting, which eventually led me to the University of Cincinnati and to here, to be in front of you today. So this whole concept and this idea of being called has significance for me in many ways. As many of you have had, I have had several callings in my life. I have been called to be a teacher, a husband, a father, and despite what those men in that room decided 30 years ago, to minister to God's people through music. But I still occasionally wonder, what did they see that I didn't? Did they really have a better insight into how God was working in my life than I did? Looking back, maybe they did. Maybe it was the right decision. But it still raises so many questions in my mind about what is a calling and who gets to decide. So I confess to being a little jealous of the disciples in the gospel reading today. If you recall, in last Sunday's gospel, the disciples approach Jesus, and he immediately invites them into relationship with a knowledge of himself. This Sunday, it is all Jesus who comes crashing into the lives of these four men, and it is very clear what he wants. They get an obvious and direct calling from God. And don't we all wish we could get that type of clear, direct message? I mean, can you imagine Jesus showing up at your place of work? I have a really clear picture. I imagine myself sitting in my office at the University of Cincinnati on the bottom floor of the Dieterle Vocal Arts Center, preparing my lesson plans, looking over the music I would be rehearsing with my choir that afternoon, you know, maybe checking my email. And there was a knock at the door. I think it's one of my students, so I yell, come in. And you know, maybe I need to yell it again because it's a thick door because of all the music happening in that building. But at some point, the door opens and it's Jesus. He comes in and sits down across the desk from me and he says, hey, I have got this great plan for your life. I know exactly what you should be doing from now on. I've got it all worked out and guess what? You don't have to worry about the direction of your life anymore. So come on, let's go. So of course I get up and I grab my coat and off we go. It, it's, a great, it's a great mental picture and something we would all want to have happen, to have Jesus actually show up and clearly tell us what we should be doing, what our purpose and calling is, right? It's what we would want, right? 
isn't it? <laughs> Is it, though? Because, of course, when I really stop to think about it, maybe it's not what I want. I suspect we all want some level of plausible deniability in our relationship with Jesus. If we can claim that we can't really know what Jesus personally wants from us, that it is left up to us to determine all of that, that feels safer somehow. We can stay comfortable, stay where we are. I mean, I have worked hard for this life. The security, the reputation, the respect of my peers, my relationships, my family, my community. I like this life. And maybe I want to stay in this life. Thank you very much. What I find interesting is that in today's gospel reading, there is no mention of the, the disciples' state of mind when Jesus shows up. They are presented to us as unwavering, determined, with no doubts. Later in the service, our choir is going to sing an arrangement of the traditional song, Done Made My Vow to the Lord, by the Reverend Lena McClinn. And the opening lines actually tie in really well, which are, Done made my vow to the Lord, and I never will turn back. I will go, I shall go, to see what the end will be. And that seems to be the response of these four fishermen. Come follow me, says Jesus. And they get up and go. They apparently leave their family, their place in society, all that they have worked for up to this point in their lives, and follow this person that they really don't know well at all. Even if internally they might have been freaking out a little bit, they don't show it. To the gospel writer, it is their response that is important. Because when it comes right down to it, the one thing about Jesus actually showing up is that we have no choice but to respond. And I think the two responses are either, yes, I'm in, or nah, I'm good. And they say, yes, I'm in. But if it's any comfort as we go through the Gospels, it becomes clear that the disciples' dedication to Jesus was not, in fact, unwavering. They have doubts and they disappoint him time and time again because they are selfish or they just don't get it or they don't get him. And of course, at the most crucial moment, they all abandon him because the disciples like us are very human. But at least at this moment, they are all in. The vast majority of us do not get to have this type of direct encounter with God, where we are told in no uncertain terms what we should be doing with our lives. And maybe we are a little grateful for that. But in the scriptures, and I think in this passage in particular, we get a pretty clear picture of what Jesus wants from his followers. He says to Peter and Andrew, come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of people. 
And he is using their language, of course, drawing on what they lived every day. So I was pondering this past week what Jesus might say to me in that context, and I think it would be something like this. Come, follow me, and we will get everyone into the choir. (laughs) Because that's my language of inclusion. Everybody sings. Everyone has a place, has a voice. Everyone is important, and they are missed if they are not there, because that is one less voice in the choir, and the choir is less because of it. Because Jesus is saying to us, come follow me and we will build community, and not just for the chosen few, but for everyone. Because the people that Jesus called to be his disciples were not the chosen few, the spiritual leaders and teachers of the day. You wouldn't find fishermen overseeing the sacrifices at the temple in Jesus' time. Come with me, he says, and we will do this thing. We will create something new. And these new disciples, I'm sure, had no idea what they were getting themselves into when they got up, left the boats, and followed. They had no concept of the wonder, joy, pain, fear, and above all, love that they would experience. But they went anyways. So what about those of us who have not been called in this direct way, whose workplaces have had, in fact, zero Jesus sightings? If we are indeed members of the same community begun by Jesus and the people he called, what might be our calling? How are we called to help build the community in ways as individual as we are? and through that to draw others into God's kingdom. How is Jesus calling us to build his community of love? What language might he use with you, with the unique gifts that only you can bring to this community and to the body of Christ? What would he say? Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of people. Come, follow me, and we will get everyone into the choir. Come, follow me, and...